Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I am Brandon Laws, your host. Thanks for the download today and for sticking with us each and every Tuesday. These are weird times, uh, not going to lie. It's been challenging for a lot of people I know. It's uh, In a lot of cases, it's challenging for me, but I've got a, a great situation right now where I'm able to do my job from home, thankfully. Um, my wife is, is home and helping with the kids and their schoolwork. And I'm just shout out to all you parents out there who are, you know, working, teaching, and just trying to make things work. Um, and, and for all of you others that are, are perhaps going in into work or working from home, it's just weird times. It's not, it's not normal. It's, um, it's pushed all of us to either, grow or um, (laughs) in a lot of cases, we're just a little bit more stressed than we usually are. So I encourage you to to definitely take um, steps to have mental health days and things like that. Take off time, uh, do what you can to, you know, journal, read, anything like that. I think that's all therapeutic and definitely talking and connecting with other people is really important too. So uh, I'm thinking about you, and uh, I'm glad that you're still listening to the podcast. It's um, my consumption of podcasts personally has gone down, so I'm, I'm not going to be mad <laughs> if our our downloads have gone gone way down. But I still want to provide value to you guys. So I'm doing a different topic this this month. I brought on Janella McIntyre, and we talked about five steps to reducing stress recognizing what works. She wrote a book on this and we had a good conversation about identifying stress, you know, what kinds of stress is good for you and your growth and what are, what others are distressing to, to the point where it's, it's taking a, a toll on you physically, mentally and all that. So you're going to get a lot out of this. Janelle is great and has a lot of great tips for how to manage stress and, and what you can do uh, to get on the other side of it. So enjoy today's episode and we've got lots of great stuff coming coming at you. The, the beauty of me still working from home is that I can still record lots of great interviews and podcasts. So we've got lots of good stuff coming up. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already and then go to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review. We need it. We love it. Uh, Appreciate the support. Talk to you next week. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Janella, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So you have a book, Five Steps to Reducing Stress, Recognizing What Works. And you know, when when you're under a great deal of stress, you wrote that it takes everything you have just to survive from one day to the next or one event to the next. Did you discover some things that helped you before you went down this path of teaching others how to reduce stress and even writing this book? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Actually, that was the source of the book is that I have anxiety and depression. That's a diagnosis. And I realized that a lot of times people who were a in high stress, in a high stress place, they were, or just for whatever reason, they were not able to think about theory, think about the things that they should or should not be doing. And I needed something really simple and I needed lots of little things 
to be able to cope with different situations at different times, which is why we came up with the micro strategies and recognizing what works. How much stress is too much stress? Because I imagine everybody has a different threshold. And I've always heard the idea that, you know, stress is good. Working out, you want to stress your muscles. And that's how you grow. And I realize that from an emotional standpoint, too, like a little bit of stress is good. But where's the level we want to be at? Right. When you think about it, you're right. You can't live without stress. The good stress or the stress that we might face in a quote unquote normal situation would be the everyday stresses of, oh, you know, if somebody is holding me up in traffic or did I pay that bill? Just a level of stress. Now, as your stress increases, your performance increases as well. So you're a little bit nervous then you're kind of, you have that little edge. And so you tend to have a higher performance overall. However, at some tipping point, and the answer is it's different for everybody for different circumstances. But there's a tipping point where it moves from stress to more accurately called distress. And how one can recognize when it moves to distress is when it's getting in the way of your being able to function as well as you could have been. And it's lasting for a period of time. You know, they're not just one day, but it seems to be more of a pattern. Most people can actually identify that distress when they can say to themselves, wow, you know, I'm feeling stressed out. And that's a good sign that it's reaching the tipping point. You have a couple of great analogies in the earlier part of your book. One is how stress is like carrying luggage. Talk about that. I thought it was really interesting. You know, actually... I know anybody who travels probably realizes this. I remember <laughs> yeah. as a young person when I was traveling to Europe. And of course, I was, oh, I have to buy this and I have to buy that. And I got back to London and I didn't have enough money for a cab. So I had to carry my luggage as far as I could to get to the hotel or to get to the tube so I could get to the hotel. And I thought, well, this isn't too bad. And then as I got further and further, I thought, I'm never going to make it home. I can't get to the tube. And then I'd stop for a while and then, oh, okay, I can go a little further. And that just told me a whole lot about what happens with stress as well. You've got to take the breaks. Yeah. Because if you don't take a break, it's just going to get heavier and heavier. What's a way to identify what's triggering the stress? Because, you know, the luggage examples, it's good because you know that, like, okay, you're filling up your luggage. You need to take a break because you're going too far. And, You just need to take those breaks in order to feel better and relax. But sometimes when we have all these these internal stressors, external, and we put all that together and you just get so distressed, how do you know what's the ultimate trigger? And I know that's a big question, but I'm wondering if you have some insight as to how people can identify where the triggers are coming from. Mm -hmm. There's two things. One is to identify the symptoms that you associate with stress. So I think in my book, I give you different categories. You start to know yourself. So under a little bit of stress, just sort of mild, ooh, I'm a little frustrated. What happens to how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and what's my body doing? Then when you are experiencing an increase in stress, again, this is the part that's important and it does feel like a little bit of work, but it's taking a look at what's my body doing, how am I feeling, and what are my thoughts doing? When you know that, then you'll understand and it will be like a radar device. If I start to get, for example, a little irritable, I know that I'm under a low degree of stress because it hits me emotionally first. And then 
if I'm under a high degree or medium sort of medium stress, it's not changing and I'm figuring out how am I going to cope with this? Usually it's my thoughts become more catastrophized, I awfulize, I'm sort of losing touch with, okay, you know, let's keep it in perspective. But then finally, when I'm under a high degree of stress, it's my body that reacts. So I could say, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I know that I'll get hives or I will get a migraine, which I don't get very often, but I'll get a migraine. So that's my key that says, doesn't matter what I'm feeling and how I'm thinking, my body's telling me sit down symbolically. You have a chapter on understanding the physiology of stress. And at the very end of the chapter, you have an example of the tall building example. And you kind of say, okay, somebody stands up to the ledge of a tall building. And then these next few things happen. Can you elaborate on that? And I think it's a good example of like what you may be feeling at the end of like a very specific stressor. Yes, yes. The building example is to let us know that what happens in our mind, our body registers as real. So there is no difference between a real and a perceived event. There is, of course, a qualitative difference. But if you internalize that event and you use your five senses, you actually bring that image into your mind, then your body reacts as if it's real. And so people in my workshop would pretend they're standing on the top of a tall building. And if you open your eyes, you're going to see some people who are just leaning forward Mm. You're looking down because that's the instruction. I always qualify that if you are afraid of heights and so on, very distressed, don't do the exercise. And I remember one time, you know, the person didn't do the exercise. She actually sat down and I kind of looked at her and I said, it's no problem, no problem, it's okay. And she talked to me after and she said, I couldn't go to the top of a tall building because she was in New York during 911. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real in the mind. Your body doesn't know the difference between a real and a perceived event. That's incredible. So what kind of symptoms does a person like that have where there is no difference between a physical and emotional example like that, where the exercise was fake, you know, you're just going through an exercise, but she has this real experience that now she's dealing with the stress of that and always thinking about it and the anxiety around it. So like, what kind of symptoms does a person like that have? I think in that case, it's definitely an anomaly. It's definitely not typical of our fear of, say, falling or fear of heights that doesn't move into a phobia. But I think if you are exposing yourself to a situation that may not seem as if it should be threatening, but it is threatening for you, then again, you're going to wonder why you're not functioning as well. Why, for example, you're more irritable than you have been, or why your emotions may be more extreme, or why there's physiological changes. You're more fatigued than you were. So really, it is all about individual reactions and individual intensity of reactions dependent upon not only the person, but the person's experience, their history, and their own physiology. So it's very unique. The best way is to know what happens in a low, medium, and high degree of stress. How does stress typically show up in regular people's lives? And what sort of impact does it have long term if we don't deal with it in some way? kind of think of it as our bodies are wonderfully set up to handle trauma, except in extreme trauma, right, when we have post-traumatic stress. But on a daily basis, if we're exposed to threats and quote-unquote distress, I'll just say stress for the ease of it, on a regular basis, low-grade, consistent stress over a long period of time, that is more detrimental to our health 
than something that is more traumatic, but doesn't happen maybe more than once or maybe more than twice. It ages us prematurely. It lowers our immune system. If Mm. we're predisposed to any physiological or mental condition, then it just literally opens the door. In fact, research has shown that pre-existing conditions are related to the degree of stress that we've experienced. And when I talk about long-term, I ask people to think about it like tires on a car. You know, if you keep burning the tire and you have the brake and the gas on at the same time, which is, I have to do this, but it's bad for me, then you're eventually going to wear all of the tire rubber off and you do not get to retread it. You can't go back and say, oh, I'm going to do that differently. You can go forward and say, I'm not going to put my foot on the brake or my foot on the gas at the same time anymore and use what you can't make it last a long time. I think I worry about like with stress is that we recognize it and what long-term impact it can have. But sometimes everybody copes with stress a little differently and some may destroy the bodies even worse by being stressful. We eat more, may drink, maybe do drugs or something just to cope with stress or to numb it a little bit. What's your experience in hearing people and the way they deal with stress? Obviously, those are not good long-term solutions, but you know, how do you get people out of those ruts? I think if the coping strategy becomes the adversary in its own right, so for example, you're diabetic, but you keep eating poorly and eat sugar, in that moment, it might make you feel better. Or long-term eating and all with that, because once we're into addictions, including food, then you know there's a whole different physiology that happens now. And it's beyond just okay lifestyle. It needs a whole separate form of treatment to figure out where did this start, what's going on, and what's happening with my body. The addiction piece. But if we're doing something on a relatively mundane basis that is still not good for us, we're still eating for comfort eating, for example, one I would say you would need to find out, A, what is this coping mechanism giving you? And is there a different way that you can get it? And that sounds overly simplified. But Dr. David Burns, who really started the whole field of cognitive behavioral psychology, he had something called the downward arrow technique. He'd say, well, why is this upsetting for me? I'm really frustrated at myself for eating. Okay. I'm frustrated at myself for eating. Why is this upsetting for me? Well, it's because, and so on. So you can do that. Or if you have something that you can identify as a stressor, you would say, why is this upsetting for me? And you keep going until you get to a basic belief or value that isn't being played out or being honored. And it's something deep. Now, Dr. Burns says it all comes down to saying that you're not lovable or um, not worthy. Don't know about that. I'll take his word on it. I've just never got that. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those micro strategies that you can use to sort of say, what is it about this situation that's causing me to do something else to avoid it through food or to avoid it through anger, frustration, irritability or sleep or lack of? Hey guys, it's Brandon here, your host of Transform Your Workplace. And I wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by Pat Live. Did you know that 76% of customers hang up if they don't reach a live person? I mean, that's insane. And 85% of customers won't call back after an unanswered call. Stop forfeiting your business to your competitors because of missed calls. Pat Live offers 24-7 live answering services so you can spend less time following up and more time growing your business. And unlike many other live answering services, they're open 365 days a year. 
Their friendly and professional agents are all located in the United States and provide all the benefits of a personal receptionist at a fraction of the cost. They offer fully customizable scripts and call handling experiences to fit your business needs and fit seamlessly in with your brand. Pat Live is more than just an answering service. Whether you need assistance on nights and weekends, overflow call handling, or full coverage, Pat Live has you covered. They offer everything from message taking, call screening and transfers to lead collection, appointment scheduling, order processing, and so much more. According to business.com, Pat Live is the best answering service for small businesses in 2020. With Pat Live's virtual receptionists, you can turn more callers into customers take better care of your clients, and improve your team's ability to focus and be productive. And now, for a limited time only, Pat Live is offering listeners of this podcast 15% off their regularly listed rates. This offer is only available over the phone, so give them a call now at 866-708-2507. That's 866-708-2507. And mention this podcast for more information or visit patlive.com. Make every call count with Pat Live. So you talk about like the stress cycle and the ways we can interrupt the stress cycle with physical, mental, emotional. Talk about the difference between those interruptions and why one might be better than the other and where people tend to lean. Because I don't really know the answer to that. Maybe everybody's different. They are, although I believe that everyone has a tendency towards one or the other, and it's just whether or not which is most impactful. So for example, if I ask people, what do you do to reduce stress? What do you do to relax? As opposed to saying, what do you do to reduce stress? I will ask people, secondly, what do you do to relax? What do you like to do? And some people will say fishing. Some people will say working out. Other people will say time with my family. Other people will say having good goals and setting them. What I believe and what I wrote about in my book is that there are three access points. So you can do something physically to interrupt the stress response and increase your relaxation response, which is key. Mm. You can work out. When you do that, you're feeling better mentally and emotionally by moving your body, getting up, going for a walk. But people who say they run or they work out, they definitely fit into that category. And then there are people who are, you can interrupt emotionally, which means you change the emotion because things like inspiration and gratitude and humor, those sort of two areas, they are incompatible with a stress response. So if you're feeling inspired or appreciative, grateful, and or you're laughing at something, you are increasing your relaxation response so your stress response is mitigated. And then finally, you can interrupt the stress cycle if you find out how are you thinking and change it. So for example, how do I see this whole situation differently? I know I'm off of work right now. What is one or two things that I can do that will see this as a, and I say this very cautiously, as an opportunity? So can I enjoy this time with my family? Can I do that? I find myself worrying about the future. So how do I pull myself back down, back to the now and have that brief break in the worry and the focus and concentration? So you can change and interrupt the stress cycle by increasing your relaxation response, either physically, emotionally, or mentally. And I believe every one of us has a tendency towards one of those. It's kind of like door number one, door number two, or door number three. I love that. 
if I'm trying to figure out whether I should relax from a physical, mental, or emotional standpoint, should I like take inventory of what my favorite things to do are from a stress-reducing standpoint, like list down and then kind of tally whether it's physical, mental, or emotional? Like, How do you tell people to do that? That's exactly it. So I ask them, think about times where you found yourself feeling very pressured, very stressed. How did you cope? And that's one general question. But the second one is, and I think it's more important because we want to focus on what we can do, not what we are avoiding. So I would ask people, what do you do to relax? What do you find enjoyment in? And usually they're connected, which means a person who says, I work out, they will answer, I work out for handling stress as well as I work out because I enjoy it. So that is a real key piece for them. What are some common external stressors and what could we do about them? Because I think everybody reacts to external stuff differently. I know a lot of us have stress that comes from within. We've talked about that a little bit, but what about external? What are some examples of those? Right. I know that it was Viktor Frankl that said there's not one thing external to us that we don't have a reaction to that between the stimulus and the response, it's our, it's our reaction to it that makes it stressful. I'm not there yet. So I still have... This is an external world that's having an impact on me. So what can I do? I look around to find out what drains me. So if that closet, yeah. if that closet drains me, well, then let's clean it out. <laughs> it's, it's so easy, right? Just, you know, let's just do it. <laughs> but if you say, oh, I should clean that closet, then you won't. If you're like me, you'll avoid that. <laughs> but if you say, you know what? That drains me. Then you say, okay, so how am I going to get back my energy? I'd like to see it clean. But again, as opposed to taking a look around you, it could be something as medium as a closet. It could be something big, like redoing your house. I think I put that in my book that I realized my house needed painting. And so every time I drove up to it, I went, oh. Yeah. Just with water, right? Then I got it painted and then, ah, doesn't this look nice? So you can have kind of a rough day and come home and go, ah, I like this. Take a look into your environment and find out what gives you energy simply and do more of that, but also what is draining you and address that. It could also be like simplifying your life. It could be minimizing clutter. It could be something that there is a relationship at work that you're going to need some help with. So maybe it's time to have you and your supervisor, of course, when this is all over, sit down and help with that relationship. If it's finances, Everything has internal associated with it. But if it's finances, who do we need to talk to? Who can you get help from to help with that? Taking a look at the external. And that's the easy one because you can get help with it. And there's experts out there. But it's the internal one that's the hard one. Yeah. So why is the internal one the hardest? I think because it's based upon habits and beliefs. Also, biochemistry as well. And it's hard. So, for example, the statement that all events are neutral it's your reaction to them that makes it. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah, that's Viktor Frankl. He was a psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz. And he said, he I've had- read his book, Man's Search for Me. I mean, there's so much. I need to reread it. There's so much in there. It's just, it's deep. All of it is it's heavy. So when he said, when that comes up without, I think, his context of wisdom around that, it seems overly simplified in a way it isn't, is. But it's how you both take it and deliver it. Because I know that 15 years ago, my husband had a stroke and I think he's fine today. But if someone would have come out of 
when I was coming out of the hospital and said, oh, well, you know, that's a neutral situation. I think I said in the book, I might deck you. So I, <laughs> it's a neutral situation. I am so not there yet. It's our responses. And it's so ingrained. Everything we do, we tell a story and have a perception and a belief about everything, everything, including somebody who cuts us off in traffic. You wrote that there are two areas to target when addressing your reaction to stress, and that includes strategies for dealing with stressful events in the moment, and the other involves strategies for building resilience through long-term lifestyle changes. I thought those were really good points. Will you elaborate on those a bit? I think one of the things that we need to do is to identify and practice those micro strategies that will get us through the day, that will get us through that event, and then think about on the long term, what do I need to do? Is there something long-term lifestyle? Is there something that I need to do around how I'm fueling my system, how active I am? What kind of relationship am I in? When you start practicing the micro strategies, you start to get an idea that there are things you need to do in the long term that will stop you from burning the rubber off the tire. And they can't be done just today, but there are bigger goals with steps to them. Hey, Brandon here, taking a quick break to tell you that this episode of Transform Your Workplace is sponsored by Tresta. Tresta is a mobile app that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. With Tresta, you can set up your business phone number, download the app and start calling and texting unlimited right away. Tresta is the best business phone app on the market. Growing your business is all about networking and communication, so it's important that you're available. If you've been carrying around a second smartphone, you're chained to your desk phone, or worse, giving out your personal number to anybody that you do business with, then you should give this a try. Tresta offers the call management features that empower you to communicate smarter and more efficiently, like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more. And you don't need any special equipment, just a smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set up everything yourself all online. Tresta is just $15 per user per month with no contract. So start your free 30-day trial today at tresta.com forward slash transform. That's www.tresta.com slash transform. Now back to the show. I think most people probably just deal with stress in the moment. Or just not at all, and they just avoid it. Kind of like the house needed to be painted. You avoided it for a while, then took care of it. But like, how do we create a plan to address the stress for long term? I know there's some long term things we could do to avoid certain stressors that pop up. A lot of your book talks about that. I mean, any ideas that we can give listeners right now? In terms of making a plan for the long term, sitting down and talking about what do you want to do? What's your legacy? What do you want to have your life mean? What are your philosophies on life and living? Where's the meaning for you? And how do you move towards that if that's not happening or if it's not existing for you or being expressed? If I had more time, what would I do? Which is kind of a strange question now because (laughs) we have time, but not in the best way. So taking that whole piece out of it, it would be a typical question for me to say, you know, if you had more time, what would you like to do? Or Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? It's an old question. I ask people, what would be meaningful for you? What are the values you have? So just even a values exercise, identifying your values. Are your values showing up at work? 
Are you able to live your values life in real time? And if you have a value for freedom in a place where you have very little control over what you do and you have a central core value of freedom, then there's two things. One is, yes, misalignments. You're going to have to find ways to align that. And that might not be, oh, I just quit my job, you know, be freelance somewhere. No, but it means that when you're not in that area of time where you don't have the freedom that you need, then where are you going to get it? It could be purposefully taking that out and letting it run for the weekend, purposefully spending it in a way that makes sense for you. As leaders of an organization or managers of people who have lots of employees and they're supporting a whole group of employees, how do we help people reduce stress? We've talked about like a lot of people just deal with stress in the moment or not at all. As a leader, I feel responsible for helping people reduce their stress because I want them to be productive and want to be happy. What are some good first steps for that? I think it's important to know what motivates and demotivates your employees. And that's a big area, touches a lot of areas. But for example, if you know that someone is motivated by recognition, and we all are to some extent, but there's some of us who like it a little bit more than others and need it more than others, then you know how to interact with that person. As opposed to thinking, what can I do to lower their stress? Stress will be lowered as an absolute guaranteed consequence if we increase the relaxation response. So as a leader, if I know that Janella does this kind of work and that kind of work, but you know what? She shut down. She's not seeming to not having some fun. She's asking a question like, how am I doing? And I think she should know how she's doing. Then these are things to recognize. Interestingly enough, all the really good management and leadership principles are things that unfortunately we don't all do. And yet they're the ones that create the environment where stress is managed best because it creates safety, trust, security. Well, trust. Oh, I think that's the best one. And open communication and appreciation. And people work and letting them know that what they do matters. And if I could give you an example, every day right now, as you know, as we all know in the world, you turn the television on or listen to the news, read from my app what's going on. There's always something new. It's scary to say that there isn't a lot of stress around right now for individuals, companies, and society. It's, yeah, it's huge. However, if you're still on Facebook, you'll notice that there are an Instagram and TikTok and everything else. There are videos of the people in Italy singing from the balcony. Yes. That yeah. is why we grasp onto that because it is like rolling a rock uphill. If you were trying to just reduce stress, the book, if it was really aptly named, it would be how to increase your relaxation response. But I don't think anybody get that. So I said reduce. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I like that title in the context. Now that I have context for what that means, it makes sense. But yeah, I get that. You mentioned late in the book that leaders should role model stress reducing behaviors. What are some good examples that are like visible? For employees, because I think like if you're trying to develop a culture of wellness and mindfulness and lack of you know stress reducing, I think that would be a good place to start. Interestingly enough, when we talk about what to do, unfortunately, there's still enough management leadership out there that more successful if I get to tell them what you just shouldn't be doing. And so, what can leaders do to model? They can talk about it. They can bring it up at a meeting. They can talk about it in a deeper way than just, well, if there's anything you need, let me know, which is a fine thing yeah, right. in general. They could themselves take a break 
you know, do something. Food's always good. Doing something that helps people know that their mental health, as well as their physical health, is valued. So, for example, when I was a manager, and I had a lot of pushback from different companies when I say this, but that's okay, because now I'm a consultant and I can say what I want. (laughs) But when I was a manager, I said to people, you know what I don't want? I value your mental health. And what I don't want is for you to say, oh, I don't want to go to work today and then have to call and go, I'm sick. (coughs) Because, you know, if you do that well enough, you're going to probably feel terrible all day because of guilt and you probably might get sick. So I just said to them, you know, call me and say, I'm taking a mental health day. And then I would say, and if I see you that day on the golf course, which I wouldn't be in, but in Walmart, I'm just going to assume that retail therapy is part of your recovery. So mm-hmm. just leaving people alone and letting them know that you honor their mental health and trusting them. People, my board would say, won't everybody do that? No, they don't. You know the number of people that don't even take their vacation days? No, 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 no. The people that do misuse that, you can tell and you can fire them. But the people that don't, but the people who don't are the most people. So yeah, modeling, talking about it, having information sessions, having things like a time to go out for a walk, walking meetings, doing something physical for the physical people, doing something emotional, such as letting them know what what they do matters, having a recognition, a red ribbon or something for them if they like humor. If they're more of the planning type of person, you might let them know that how they're doing and what they're doing matters and in what way. So you're using the logic. Know your employees, not only know their personality type, but their stress management style. And cover the broad spectrum if you don't know that, which means implement things that are letting people know that you value mental health. And by the way, model it. Yes. If you're saying to people, no, really take your break and you're not, then. Yeah, exactly. As you know, in leadership and management, it's not so much what we say, it's what we do. People rarely listen to what we say. People are always watching. Yeah. Well, Janella, thank you for coming on the podcast. Great discussion and just really important subject too. We only touched the tip of the iceberg. Your book has tons of exercises and lists of ideas and relaxation things that we could do from a physical, mental, emotional standpoint. So I really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about you, what you're up to, and anything else you want to point people to? I think the best place would just to go to my website. So my company's name is called Partners in Discovery. So you would just go to partnersindiscovery.com. I'll be uploading some things that I'm hoping are helpful to people. Right now, you can get the books there. I know that they're available on Amazon, but I think now it's better to go through me because I know Amazon, of course, is focusing on medical supplies. Or just, you know, there's Kindle is available, of course. But yeah, at my website, it shows what we're doing and my books are there as well on a few topics. Yeah, we're going to have you back soon. We'll talk about your other book, your newer book on soft skills (laughs) coming soon. All right, Janella McIntyre, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for connecting. Thank you. Take care. 